this is Maureen Milliken. And this is Rebecca Milliken, and this is Crime and Stuff. The podcast. You would do if you had nothing better to do. And also that's celebrating its second anniversary. Yes, this is our second anniversary. Not the exact date, but it was two Thanksgivings ago that we did our first one. Yes. The Yoga Twins. The Yoga Twins, which is still one of our yeah. top downloaded It ones. is. It is. And this is episode 58. Wow. Or is it 57 part one? I don't know. Or part two. It's 58. Just do 58. It's yeah. easier. This is the first time we've done a part two. Yes. Because we're doing our rating system. Negative Nellies. If you haven't listened to part one, you probably should. Right. Because we're going through our 10 negative Nelly rating points From... on the documentary Making a Murderer. But we're also rating the case itself. Yes. We're doing both seasons of Making a Murderer. Right, together, not separately. And though it may seem weird that we're ranking a case, it's actually just a way for us to talk about all the things that are to talk about in a structured way so we're not just all over the place. Yes. Right? Yes, it'll make hopefully make it more understandable. Well, organized. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. The first part, we went through our first five negative Nelly. Which are bad reenactments. Narrative cliches, gender, racial obtuseness, which we also talked about class in that. Yes. A lack of good visuals and missing pieces. And I think we ended up taking away 1.5 points. Um, Half a point for the obtuseness and one One point for missing missing pieces. And that's from the documentary. And that was each. So I guess we're kind of, are we combining? Yeah, why don't we just combine? Because we pretty much agree. And on everything. Yes. And that's for the documentary itself. For the case, obviously, we can't. Yeah, we're not taking off points, points for the case. Like I said, it's just a way to talk. But we are rating the documentary as well. Today, on our second part, and we don't have any updates on other cases or anything. If today, we do, we'll leave it till next we'll time. We'll leave it till next time. Today, the five, we're going to we're gonna talk about the five yeah, second ones. So that's inaccuracy, anachronisms, storytelling, freshness. Repetition and beating the drum. Beating the drums are favorite. Yes. When we left off last time, we were talking about the missing pieces, and we did end that section. Yes. So we're going to start to... With inaccuracies and anachronisms. anachronisms. And there's no anachronisms in this documentary. Or inaccuracies that I know of. That they've done, because... And that goes to their storytelling, which we'll talk about next. Yeah. So I'm not taking away any points. From no, the I'm not either. And if you kind of disagree with us on that, as far as the documentary goes, I you need to listen to our first part where we talk about some of the criticisms of the documentary yes. and how they addressed those. And I think their addressing of the criticisms took care of anything that people may feel are inaccurate. I think so. And we'll talk more about and that. And it's not like I, I think that they're all above reproach. It's just there weren't any that I and, have and not, I think, I've read about. Or right. That. And I think part of it goes to the storytelling where they're not narrating this. And we'll talk about that more in the storytelling. But as far as the case goes with inaccuracy. There are uh, many. Okay. One that I had a big issue with is that the implication by prosecutors that Stephen Avery was guilty of the rape he was exonerated. It was actually for. attempted rape and assault. Attempted rape and assault, thank you. He was exonerated by DNA after they had framed him for it. Yes. After they were hit over the head with the fact it was probably this horrible serial rapist. And still, when he's now embroiled in this case, whatever this case 
if he were guilty of it said about him as a human being, he was still exonerated of that rape, but it kept being used against him. Yes, it did. They kept bringing it up every chance they get. It wasn't like he got off on some kind of courtroom technicality. He did not do it. He wasn't there. He had nothing to do with it. Nothing. And yet... And the fact that his lawsuit that was going on, his civil suit, when this murder happened, was going so well for him, was it was becoming more and more obvious that they knew all along he didn't yes. do it and let him stay let in jail him for 18 and, years and let a serial rapist go around for a few more years people. i don't know when he finally got it was well more than a decade god only knows how many women he attacked which is an underlying issue of this whole thing that they have to attack his character in order to make their case against him for this murder yeah. work and if they had done their jobs say he really did do this murder collect the evidence correctly, do your jobs right, and you don't have to do this big campaign about what an awful person he is. Present the evidence. You know, don't... Ridiculous. So that was one of the big inaccuracies of the case that bugged me. The other inaccuracy in the case, we talked about this circular argument that they kept saying about the story Brendan told in his confession about how they tortured and raped and bound and everything. Stabbed and shot. Yeah, and... Teresa. And they kept saying, well, if he didn't do it, how would he know? When they had no evidence that that's what happened to her. Yes. He's telling this stuff. They have no evidence this stuff happened. It's not like they're withholding and then, evidence. And, but then they go back and say, well, how would he know that this happened to her if he didn't do it? Because he's, he's, making, he's it making it up. And then they're like, well, how would a kid that age make stuff up? Well, as we find out later, his older brother had thousands and thousands of horrific images of women being tortured and raped and dead bodies and killed and stuff on the family computer. It's not like they all had their own yeah. computer. Also, he played video games all day. Yes. It's not beyond the realm of possibility that a 16-year-old boy would be able to make up something like that. Especially, especially after when they're feeding him. And prodding yes. and prodding and prodding him for. And also, which kind of goes along with this, is when he does at his trial say he got some of that from the book Kiss the Girls, they insult the kid and make it clear that they can't imagine he'd be able to read a book like yes. that. Although I can see even a kid of his low intelligence level, if somebody said to him, hey, there's some pretty... Yeah. Or he can say, look at this page. Scenes. Right. Yeah. Look, I, or, I circled this page or, or I turned on this page. Or it's possible his brother or someone told him about the book and yes. what was in it, and he isn't going to say at trial while my brother told yeah. So there are a lot of possibilities, but the fact that they keep saying... I know. Well, it drove me nuts. How could he know? How could he have known this happened to her? Well, we don't... No one knows right. what if happened to her. there evidence any of that happened to her, and they hadn't told yeah. him, and he knew, yes. Yes. That makes him guilty, and it's happened in other cases. There were pieces of burned bones, and there was no blood evidence, no... There was nothing. As no we said forensic. before, there was no evidence in the, uh, the supposed bed that she was tortured on there was no evidence in that room <laughs> yeah. and Stephen and Avery it, wasn't exactly the greatest housekeeper right. in the world and it didn't look like they did any like luminol tests no, or they any, did nothing nothing to get and, any evidence so that so that was a big inaccuracy also and we talked about this a little bit earlier on uh, the last episode in the closing arguments in Stephen Avery's trial the prosecutor says if Stephen Avery didn't kill Teresa Habach. Obviously, the defense is saying the cops did, or you, jury, have to believe that the cops did. There's no one else, which is bullshit. Yeah. It's not like one thing or the other. That's so stupid. Right. And part of that was a missing piece because, and it was an issue we had with the documentary, that they left out the fact 
or didn't stress enough, so you really it wasn't made a big enough deal of that the defense was not allowed to bring up alternate suspects, yes, even though there were many. Ridiculous. And so Ken Kurtz was able to say, well, if he didn't do it, the cops had to have done it. And if you jury acquit him, then you're saying the cops killed her. And when it's obvious what happened is the cops took advantage of the situation to make it look like Steve. And the other thing, the prosecution's timeline was inaccurate because they had the witness, the school bus driver, who was, she's on a pretty rigid schedule. So she would know what time. Right. And she saw, she saw Teresa taking pictures of the, of the, of the bus. Van. Yeah. And it, much later than it would have had to happen for Brendan's story to make sense. According to the prosecution's timeline, Teresa was taking pictures around 2.30. Oh, okay. According to the school bus driver, she was taking pictures around 3.30. Oh. For that to happen, none of the other things, Bobby Dassey's story wouldn't make no, sense. Brendan's story wouldn't make sense. The only story that would make sense would be Stephen Avery's story. Yeah. The state did talk about that timeline, but they tried to discredit it. I think maybe it was Brendan's trial where they said, how could you get off the bus and not notice this woman taking pictures oh, yeah. and blah, 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 which kind of twists it around because the bus stopped. At, you can't argue that the bus stopped at a specific time. And I don't think anyone, I don't remember the bus driver being called into question. I think it would be pretty no, easy for wasn't. them to prove when she got there. So it's not so much an inaccuracy as them making something that's wrong seem logical by leaving out yes. information. And the other thing that was inaccurate... The woman who did the DNA test... So her DNA got into the... Into so the, she So says, you're supposed to throw it out. You can't use that evidence because it's been... Contaminated. Been, yeah, it's been contaminated, but they still used it because she said, well, I know how I got my DNA in it, so right. it doesn't matter. But there's a protocol that she's followed hundreds of times. Yes, and this on is the every only, other case. Right, and this is the only time she didn't follow it, and the prosecution's argument was kind of like, well, you know, sometimes you just He can't said stay. something like, you can't always be just rigid protocol, and it's like, and I think we did talk about this in our last Right, our that last is a science... You do have to have a rigid protocol because that's the only way you're going to have correct evidence. Right, right. And she, and they made a big deal that the defense was questioning her deviating from protocol. But the fact that it's the only time she ever deviated from protocol, this particular protocol. And she didn't really have a good And her career, right, shows that. Oh, well, I didn't have any more to to test, so. If I were on the jury, that would have been a red flag. But the jury obviously didn't seem to care much about red flags i don't well they did if you listen to the that one juror the one guy yeah but he said when they went in there seven people thought he was innocent the implication is they really didn't want to as a group a bunch of people from manitowoc go against the sheriff's department in the county they had to live with which would have been a really good reason to get a change of venue yeah you know, they, they were in a different county for the trial, but the jury was that all from sense. their county. Yes. Well, it's not a true change of venue yes, because weird. you're using I know, jurors. so what's the point? I know. Well, it could have been something to do with the courthouse, the way the courthouse was laid out or the size of the court. I mean, they do that mainly. I know, the they do. They do, but they, they, didn't, they didn't explain, explain it. That. And then we talked about that missing pieces. Right. But the other thing is, this whole case actually makes me think about how in Maine, which we've talked about many times, that the state police handle murder cases. Except for in Bangor. Except they're Portland. Bangor and Portland. Although Wisconsin, I don't know what they're... They have a lot more people than Maine. Yeah. I mean, if at least 
with that kind of system, you wouldn't have the same issues. Right. You may know the state investigators, but they're not the guys you have to deal with every day. And they're not the ones that would have tried to frame someone for attempted rape and assault. And one of the other inaccuracies in the case is that Stephen apparently made a joke and the kid who, who the kid who actually heard the joke didn't even testify. You explain it because you explain there was it a mind. joke. A friend of Bobby Dassey was and over. And Bobby's the one who testified. He testified that it was November tenth. He was over at which the, was five days after at her the body, compound. Right, which was five days after her body was found. Yes, I can't remember exactly what the joke was, but Stephen apparently said, "You, you want to help me bury a body? Want me or, help me bury a body or something like that, or get rid of a body?" And Ken Kratz tried to say it was November 3rd. He said it a couple times. Which was two days before her body was found. Which was before her body was found. Granted, it was in very poor taste, the joke, even if it was specific to her, which maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. And we don't really know because, and I'm surprised, like I don't fully understand hearsay testimony and stuff, but the person testifying to this was Bobby Dassey, Brendan's older brother, even though the guy who made the joke uh, the guy who had testify, the, yeah. right, and it was, but it was Stephen Avery who said it, but it was, in re, you know, this other kid is the one who heard it yes. or he said it to. I think Bobby might have been there. And the defense and was the... able to pin down it was November 10th, but the prosecution kept insisting it was November 3rd, with the difference being for Stephen to make that quote-unquote joke before her body was found mm-hmm. that he was trying to get rid of the body and blah, blah, blah. And he was serious, not joking, which is fucking stupid. Right. Because people make stupid jokes like that all the time. But a lot of these inaccuracies by Ken Kratz are deliberate inaccuracies. Right. So they're lies in other ways. Right. Deceptions. And they're ways to make the jury or anyone else question what they really know. In a lot of cases, the defense's hands were tied. They were. So it was easy for Ken Kratz. And, of course, he had to constantly keep stressing through all this how horrible whatever happened to her was. All we really know what happened to her is she was killed and her yes. body was burned. Yes. Um, I mean, that's the only, that's the only thing there's any evidence and of. And that she was probably shot Which is by, bad enough. Which, and she was probably shot in the head because of the whole inner skull, the way, like, even though her skull is in pieces, the ridges of it. But that's all they know. You don't have to do that shit. If you have evidence to prove somebody committed a crime. Yeah, you, you don't need to Be exaggerate it. or embellish or, or lie. Or lie, which she's doing. Yeah. Again, the documentary itself, there's no points taken off for that because that's No, they didn't much. have any. Then storytelling, which is a big thing for the documentary, and I think in this one we talk more about the documentary than the case. I think they did a great job. One of the things you and I agree on is the fact that they didn't use a narrator. No. And that a lot of documentaries and true crime shows and stuff, the narration is what wrecks the storytelling because instead of showing, they're telling. Yeah. The things that they use to kind of fill in where normally there would be a narrator voicing over, they have graphics, which we talked about in our last episode and they have some words on the screen but those would just kind of clarify things right the words they on don't... the screen are factual yes. or or the like gr- a transition yes. they're not oh it's horrible yeah. blah 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 yeah. one of the things i liked that showed for instance on the different 
families were treated and the class, like the class differentiations and stuff, is the Avery family, who whether Stephen was guilty or not, his parents weren't guilty of anything, had to walk through the metal detectors. The Halbeck family got to walk around them. And they don't tell, the narrators don't tell you this. You have to be watching, you. you know, they show you it a few times. And the Averys don't complain about it. Nobody says anything about it. Everybody should have to walk through the metal detectors or nobody should have yeah, to walk through the metal detectors. Definitely. Because somebody in her family is just as likely they to pull out a gun have, yeah, they, or more happened likely, before. Yeah. Right. Then somebody in his family, and the only difference between the two families is one was poor and not highly regarded, and the other was upper, white, middle class, mm-hmm. quote-unquote, church-going people. And the other thing is they had all these tapes of prison phone calls with Stephen. He spoke for himself. You didn't have someone asking him questions. It was just kind of his voice saying things. I thought that was really... Right, you rarely heard the narrators asking a question or heard their voices. And a lot of the um, phone calls weren't even to the documentarians, because they got all the audio from yes. his phone calls. As Between far as, him and Barb. Right, and as far as letting people speak, too, on the other side, you had, like, for instance, the undersheriff who asserted if he hadn't been let out of prison for that attempted rape, Miss Halbach would probably still be alive and stuff. And they don't, the documentarians don't make a big deal about that either. No. But they let those people say stuff. After everything else you've seen, it's like, what the fuck? And a lot of people, viewers, for instance, Teresa Halbach's brother, Mike, we've already said this, it was a horrible loss for her family, and I understand that they don't like him, that they <laughs> that they don't like Stephen Avery, yes. and that they think that he shouldn't be given this treatment by a documentary. But a lot of people thought her brother came off as smug and kind of a jerk, and they did not edit anything that he said or did, they just... Right. Showed him talking. The viewer makes their own. There's a lot of people that don't like Stephen Avery. And right. it's because of what they saw in the documentary. It goes both ways. Or, right. You know? and, and we may have mentioned this last week, too. But her family could have talked to the documentarians. They chose not to. Mm-hmm. And in the second season, at the end of every episode, there's a list of what looks like almost 100 people who wouldn't talk to the documentarians. And they don't have to. But... You can't say it's one-sided if you're not going to give your side. Right, and they do the best they can to show the other side. The problem is that the other side, in a lot of ways, does itself in. Like, they're not twisting what her family's saying. They're not twisting what that under-sheriff is saying. They're not twisting what Kaczynski, Brendan's first lawyer, like, when Kaczynski's removed as Brendan's lawyer because he let him talk to the cops without a lawyer there... They, somebody asked if he would have done anything differently, and Kaczynski goes, yeah, I would have, because then this wouldn't happen. Not, I would have, because it was there wrong. was a miscarriage of justice, or <laughs> it was wrong. And, you know, he has that stupid grin, grin on his face. So, people who say it's one-sided, granted they're telling Stephen Avery's story, and I think it's a legitimate story to tell, whether he's innocent or guilty. Yes. It's a story about how our justice system works. I know there are a lot of people, as we said last week, who the victim has to be first, the victim has to be first. You have to be able to tell stories about our justice system, and you have to be able to tell them about people who are convicted, whether rightly or wrongly, without all this... I mean, we acknowledge, yes, somebody was killed, and that's why this is all happening, but you have to be able to talk about the justice system, and they do a good job of that by letting both sides use their own words. If people feel that the prosecution side and the people who don't like the Averys and Stephen Avery were not given 
the platform they deserved, I would say watch it again. They're certainly given the platform they deserved. What they're saying is distasteful in a lot of ways. If you feel strongly about the justice system, like there's the thing that really, really, really bugged me. As much as the video of Michael O'Kelly, Kaczynski's private investigator forcing Brendan mm. to draw a picture of Teresa oh. Habach against his will, telling him constantly, tell the truth, tell the truth, after he wrote down what the truth was. And then later, when he's trying to, ex- Brendan's trying to explain to the judge what the truth is, he writes the same thing. Yeah. When he was in court, the thing, the letter about the Avery family. Oh, um, how he said that they were, basically said they were inbreeds. That, that, that um, they shouldn't be allowed to yeah. procreate. Yeah. There was a lot of religious stuff in there. Yeah. He cried thinking about Teresa Halbox. Yes. And he's, okay, he's working for the defense attorney. The, what he was saying about the Avery family was horrible. It was horrific. He compared them to animals. Yeah. Everybody should be bothered by that. And again... Somebody with that point of view shouldn't be in a position to be on either side of the and, justice and system. And you didn't need a narrator saying, oh, what he's saying is horrible. I mean, you might not think that what he's saying is horrible. So, But as a viewer, I thought, what a, what a piece of shit he is. And this is the man that was supposed to be working as an advocate for the defendant. And yeah. somebody could say, oh, well, they only showed that about him and not something else. Well... <laughs> You don't have to show something else. Because one thing people will get confused about is they think, like, for something to be fair or balanced, you have to show, like, equal things for both sides. And that's not really how it works. Sometimes there aren't equal things for both sides. Like, you don't have to have... If you have somebody talking about climate change, you don't have to have a climate change denier on talking about it. Yeah. You know, you can show that, that investigator, like, what he... Did to poor Brendan in that video. And also that horrible, horrible letter and him crying about Teresa Halbach on the stand because he saw, what was it he saw that made him think of her and cry? A ribbon or something. The ribbon. And that makes me sound callous. I am upset about her death. But to me, it's it's a separate thing then. Especially Brendan, like I said before. Right. He, the kid had nothing to do with it. And also, they, they weren't showing things out of context just to promote whatever the filmmakers, just to promote whatever their point of view might have been. They showed press conferences. Right. They showed they court, certainly showed things in court. They showed the... They had an exhaustive use of oh, video, yeah. um, I mean, court they records... They showed that disgusting press conference oh, where that was horrible. Ken Kratz and that other guy, the day after Brendan's confession. confession which we uh, said in our last, the judge hadn't even said that the confession was could be, you know, used in court. So he's talking about all this stuff, poisoning the jury pool. Right. And all the lawyers that saw that were like, what are you, what right. the fuck? And that's another good thing about their storytelling is that they just don't have one or two people advocating for Stephen Avery or talking against him. They have a huge amount of attorneys and professionals. It's interesting the ones who think he's innocent, the things they say, and there's a lot of them. It's not just one nutty attorney out there. It's, I know. You know. It's from that one in the very first, who I had forgotten about, who I liked, Risa Evans. Risa Evans who, was his first attorney. Right, his court first appointed. Son. He had a civil rights lawyer named Walter Kelly. He was the white, silver-haired guy with the glass. Stephen Glenn was post-conviction. 
Um, Walter Kelly was civil rights lawyer, so he must have had a lawyer that was helping him with the whatever lawsuit. that case. Yeah. And then he had, I don't know if I have the name of his lawyer that was doing his civil suit, which was a different and lawyer. And they were all on there he talking. He was the bald guy with the glass. Right. Oh, he might have been the post-conviction lawyer. And they were all, anyway, they were all on there talking about how they think he's innocent in a miscarriage of justice, and you're not going to get that many attorneys who have represented somebody saying that. Yeah, they don't always. They don't, just, have they don't to. always say. Right, a lot of them are out of it. Or they'd ra- they'd rather not know. Sometimes they're just there to represent their constitutional rights. But these are people that were right. And the things they say about how the justice system worked are articulate and well supported. All the people they talked to, though, pretty much were involved in the case. And another thing I like about their storytelling, Kathleen Zellner, <laughs> you know, who's a major, major part of season yeah, two, like the they, they kind of show, without telling you, but you figure out she's doing what the prosecution and law enforcement should have done. Yes, she which is. Which is looking at the evidence. She's investigating it. Testing the evidence and seeing where it leads her. They kind of build the story with that, and you kind of see that as it goes along. I didn't realize it until after I was watching for a while, but the only thing we really see of Stephen Avery in the second season are still photographs and we hear his voice. The other things we see would be either older things of him on because he's in prison the whole time. They may show some of his interviews with the police. Yeah, but those were before. I mean, they haven't shown anything new. Because they won't let her go see him No, they won't let her see him. They won't let the filmmakers go. Basically focused on her looking at the evidence. Part of this, I feel like they had to, the filmmakers had to do it, the second part anyway. But what I like about it is a lot of it is with them showing, not telling, a answer to all the criticisms the first season took. Yes. You know, they knock them down like bowling pins. And in a smaller storytelling thing I like is the closing arguments when they yes. show, they don't just show blah, 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 one side, like blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's a, kind of a point counterpoint. Yes, I like that. It was shortcuts. Somebody would make one point and then they'd show how the other side countered that in their closing argument. And I don't think they favored either side showing that. I don't think so. I think any impressions you have of that being biased would be your reactions to what's being said. Yeah, I think that's the whole thing that we like. The storytelling, as we keep saying, is showing the story and you are going to make your own assessment. And there are people out there, if you talk to people that have watched this and think he's guilty. Right. Although I don't honestly don't know how. He didn't get a fair trial. Regardless of what you think, he didn't get a fair investigation. His constitutional rights were denied him. Um, And the people he's suing for $36 million shouldn't have anything to do. All the evidence, all the quote-unquote evidence they found was found by the people he was suing. It's just so And another thing I like is the way season two plays out. They don't hit you with everything in the first episode. No. And storytelling, as far as the case goes, we've already talked about their storytelling, and we're going to talk more about it. Yes. But I take no points away for the documentary. The next thing we're going to talk about is freshness. Yes. Which we've already kind of, like we just talked about, their storytelling is, it's not like it's never been done before. Right. Well, first of all, the subject matter, it's not like it's never been done before as far as somebody wrongly convicted of a crime. But I don't, can't remember one that's been done in this depth. No, I liked it. Before. Um, And when they started filming this, they didn't know what they were, they they just knew this guy suing for all this money had been arrested for murder. And that's when they started filming it. They didn't know where it was going to go. 
and they lucked out that it became a really good yeah thing. Part of the freshness of it goes with the other things we like about yes. it, the storytelling and that. But yeah, the storytelling, the um, yeah, just like we were just talking about, the freshness comes from the storytelling and the fact that yeah, I mean, there are there are other crimes that have been covered a lot, and this one. Hasn't been. And they reuse video, which is sometimes an issue with other ones, but I feel like whenever they reuse it in this, it's to make a point or to a certain effect. It's just not overshowing this again because we have nothing else to show. They do show photos of more than one, but not as bad as some of the other ones. Some of them have sameness, but that, again, is not their fault. Where, Like at the prison, they must have (laughs) these murals that they stand in front of for their picture, which is kind of odd. So as far as the case goes, I would say Kathy well, uh, well, I just want to say, too, about the documentary itself about Kathleen Zellner. Okay. We've seen her on things like Dateline and stuff. Because yes. she, she defended, for instance, as we talk about Ryan Ferguson, mm-hmm. the young man who was accused of killing that sports writer in Missouri. He was convicted but didn't do it. And she got him off. So we've seen her before. But I would say not to this extent, not to this amount where we're with her all the time. Yeah. And I think she's a really fresh character because she's very straightforward. She's very confident about what she's doing. And she has a right to be. She's not talking out of her ass. And to me, that's fresh. Well, she backs it up. Yeah. She's not just bragging about shit that she doesn't have. I'm sure her manner puts a lot of people off. I'm sure it does. Because she's very... Because she's a woman. Very, yes. And she's very confident when she says blah blah you know i know for sure that blah 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 or i did this and, and blah know. blah blah and you're thinking oh come on but and, then she shows right, you that to, she actually did do right. all this and not to beat the drum but as somebody who's who like one a big indictment about me on a previous job was i make quote-unquote brassy pronouncements Ooh, you're yeah. so brassy people don't like it when women make brassy pronouncements and i do make many constant brassy pronouncements even when i'm not on this podcast i'm always yes, she I? Does. but if you're a guy who makes brassy pronouncements you're a confident leader if you're a woman who makes brassy pronouncements you're a mouthy bitch who needs to shut her fucking mouth mm-hmm. and i yeah, feel people yeah, feel I that agree. way no. about certain female politicians yes. and about kathleen's people who don't like her it's all this like physical personal, superficial yes. personality and it's stuff. like the thing is she's not talking out of her ass no if she was then i'd be like yeah she's full of shit but she's the other right. thing right if she says there are only two ways such and such could have happened it's because she's shown and that then, then only, they show you right because she does all this. She does exhaustive research. Right. And the other thing that has nothing to do with any of this is, did you know, <laughs> this is going to sound really shallow. Oh, but say it anyway. Everyone that works for her looks like, um, a, they look like the cast of one of those TV shows that's all like young, attractive lawyers. Yeah, did you notice that? Maybe she only hires young, attractive people and we need to. Oh, Kathleen. And she has a driver, which is kind of cool. She needs the driver. <laughs> so she can do all her reading and shit while she's riding right. around. She works a lot of She's people, working all the time. A lot of important people who work hard have drivers so that they can work in the car while they're being driven around all over the place. I'd get a headache of nauseous. Though. I would too. I like to drive myself. And she so brings f- fresh evidence. Well, first of all, we take no points away no, from freshness. No. 
And then, yes, freshness for the case. The porn on the Dassey, Bobby's right. porn. Bobby's porn on the Dassey S&M computer. porn and misogynistic. And it's not just, it's not just, not to. Not get, just bondage, it's Right, it's, it's not gross. just the kind of porn that some people look at, blah, blah, blah. It's really, it's literal dead bodies, literal people being killed, or I should say women, lots of really, really, really disturbing stuff, and they show where you can't really tell what they're showing some of it. And one big thing that bothers me about this is not that I'm judging Bobby Dassey for liking a really gross kind of porn, but more that, like the criticisms of Stephen Avery, like what he supposedly said in prison about wanting to tie up women and rape them or whatever, this kid should have bothered the cops from the get-go. They knew about the porn, they didn't tell the defense, which is a Brady violation, yeah. and then they used him as their star witness. Yeah. Again, if you think Stephen Avery or Brendan Dassey is guilty, it should still bother you that somebody with this level of poor credibility and really sick proclivities was used as a witness against these guys and that the defense wasn't told about what they knew, what the prosecution knew was on his computer, which is a Brady violation, which should bother you because if you really believe Stephen Avery's guilty, then you should want the defense to have all the information so they can counter it, and then the prosecution can show how full of shit they are. And a couple times they show Kratz talking to Bobby Dassey in the hallway, Mm. a real, like, you can't hear what they're saying, but it looks real buddy-buddy, and it's disgusting. And the other thing about this porn is it kind of answers that question that they were having about Brendan, like, how would he know, even though we don't know know what happened with Chris. But but we're talking about a trailer with a mom and three boys, or four boys, in any yeah. case, a bunch of boys, one computer beings. in the family. The boys obviously must share bedrooms and stuff. Don't tell me that Brendan doesn't know what Bobby's looking yeah. at. Don't tell me Bobby's not talking about this shit when his mom's not around. I mean, we grew up, you know, six kids in a fairly big house. We weren't rich. It was a big old rambling falling apart house. But there weren't a lot of secrets. Don't tell me that a family with three teenage boys boys, living in a trailer that Brendan wasn't exposed to this shit. I know. Which, like you said, answers the question, how would he know about this stuff? Well, and if the defense attorneys had known, even if Bobby had nothing to do with it, if he had known about it, he could have been like, that's right. how he knew. I mean, he'd seen that imagery. And this didn't even come up, but I felt like with Brendan's critical thinking skills and the fact that it takes him a while to make connections that it didn't occur to him like when they asked how do you know this stuff to say well bobby's porn he probably didn't want to get bobby in yes, trouble he probably didn't he probably even though bobby was testifying against or his it uncle. didn't occur to him how he knew he knew he knew about this kind yeah. of stuff yeah, but it's well, like yeah. yeah i know it's about in the ether, it it's you know in the ether right so, so that was some fresh evidence. The other thing was the Outlook calendar. I think we talked about a little before, and but she, pieces, yeah. Teresa had printed out, and this was in, what, 2005. Five. She probably had just a cell phone. You know, it wasn't a and smartphone. And I just want to say before you get into the whole thing, I frequently 
print out calendars and stuff and write on them because I find it easier to look at in a glance yes. than finding yes, it, it is. like especially I a print calendar. Out, I print out maps and stuff sometimes still yeah. even with my GPS. Right. It's easier to look at than a phone. So she had this Outlook calendar and also that she would write stuff on while she was because she was spent she would pull her over. office was basically in her car. She was a photographer freelance photographer that would drive around and people would call her during the day right. and say can you stop by and take a picture. And that a couple yeah. people even said that who talked to her on the phone that, that she said that day they said she said let me pull over and write this down she literally said those words and it was like one call is like at 241 after she was supposedly murdered by Stephen Avery and she had written things on the calendar that indicated she had talked to the people that That said that she had talked to them so funny thing is this calendar was not in her car but her ex-boyfriend gave it to the police. And said he found it in her in apartment, apartment right? which yeah. doesn't make sense. If you think about it, it I mean, it could have been that she, somehow she stopped at home and left it there, but you probably, it's the type of thing well, you would that just leave on your... the timeline, yeah, the last thing she yeah. wrote down was at 2.41. And you would leave it on your passenger seat. There's right. no reason to bring it into your house. Right. You would leave it in the... Pa- and also, there was no time for it to get to her yeah, house if there she was, was killed when they so said... That, that was a weird piece of evidence. So somewhere in the five days between... Her taking that last phone call at 2.41 and her car being found, that Outlook calendar went from being in her car to being in her apartment. Or, well, that's where her ex-boyfriend It says. went, it got out of the car somehow. And, and it was in the hands of the police. Right. Kathleen Zellner's the one who figured out it yes. would have had to have been in her car through just good old-fashioned legwork and digging. Yes. This is one of those things where she's like, there's no other explanation. And there is no other yeah. explanation. It's clear. People who have nothing to do with this case said, I talked to her on the phone. She said, I'm going to pull over and write that down. What they said they were talking to her about was written on the calendar. Yes. The call was made that afternoon. And that was, to me, that that's a pretty interesting piece of evidence. And if she did go home. It's such a... I a mundane thing, but... But a good cases are good evidence is made from mundane things. And if she did go home and drop that off at home, then that screws up the whole timeline, and it's a whole different story about yes. who may have killed her. Yes, that's right. So no matter how you look at it, that Outlook calendar brings a lot of troubling questions up to the state's case, questions that can't be answered by mm. what they say happened. No. And kind of going along with that, another thing Kathleen Zellner found out was that the boyfriend, the ex-boyfriend, who sounded like he was, he was more into her than she was. Yes, he wanted to get back together. And somebody was bugging her. The implication is he was bugging her a lot. He inserted himself into the case, even though they weren't that close at the time. He made it seem like they weren't. And people say that. Shortly before the car was found by a search team that was sent into the Avery junkyard by him... Yes. There was, like, the day before, the afternoon before that morning, there were a huge amount of drop calls in a very sh- short period of time to the, what was it, to the sheriff's department from his phone? I'm not sure. Something like that. And I think it was the sheriff's department. Right, and Kathleen was... Zoller points out when they were driving around the quarry and the stuff, their calls kept dropping. It was yes. kind of one of those so. So she thinks he was around there. There's so many things that don't make sense to me. And, you know, I'm not a cop or investigator, but the ex-boyfriend should be a suspect. Well, that So why are you letting him on the site where basically a crime... Right. And her theory is that the police had him drive the car 
after, and we'll get to that in a minute, after it was found somewhere else, mm-hmm. to the to the salvage yard, yes. that they had him do it. And before we get to that, let's just talk for a second about the alternative suspects thing, which was one of our missing pieces. But Kathleen Zellner makes a very big deal about the fact that the defense wasn't allowed to talk about alternative suspects, which is a viable defense theory, because if you're going to find somebody guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, the fact that other people could have done it too. So the defense isn't saying, this guy did it, this guy did it, but they're showing this guy could have done it. This guy could have done it. Somebody else could have done it. And she does a great job of showing that Bobby Dassey or Scott Taddock, and to a lesser extent, the ex-boyfriend, could have done it. Yeah. Could have done it, and there was actual evidence yes. that's stronger than any evidence against Stephen Avery. So that's some fresh evidence. And the sink. Let's just talk about the sink real quick. Okay. And, and then, then we can go to the Rav Forest. Okay. That's a big thing. The Stephen Avery sink, and I know some people have kind of made fun of this thing, but I think it's great. Apparently, and this is part of our missing pieces, too, because it was not talked about at all in the first documentary. So people would say just stuff that made him look innocent wasn't talked about. It, initially, if this had been talked about, it would have just made him look like a dumbass or whatever. But he had that cut on his finger, as yes. we talked about. He bled all over his sink. He didn't clean it up. He went out with his brother, Chucky. He came home. He said on the documentary that he peed off the porch. He didn't yes. even... we talked about this yeah, he Right. Yeah. So he didn't go into the bathroom. <laughs> the next morning, and this was when the cops were going into his trailer a lot yes. and stuff, before he was arrested, after her body was found... The next morning he went in and his sink was clean. And he kept saying to people, what happened? My sink is clean. How did my sink get clean? There's no blood in my sink. Maybe the filmmakers just had so much stuff that this seemed a nonsensical thing they couldn't put in. So Kathleen Zellner's crew took the sink, as you know we talked about before, out of his trailer and did experiments on it and found that those flakes of blood on the carpet of the RAV4 that were his could have easily come from the sink. Mm Mm-hmm. Also showing that if you're going to drip blood onto a carpet of that type of RAV4 with that type of carpet, you're not going to get flakes. You're going to get... It'll soak The only way you're going to get flakes are to scrape them off or something. Yeah, it's already dried, yeah. And they managed to do that. So that was fresh for the documentary and fresh for the evidence. And the biggest thing... Yes, the RAV4, which you can talk about if you want. Okay, thanks, because I I like talking about this. A guy who had nothing, a truck truck driver, a long-distance truck driver who had nothing to do with the case, stopped at like a convenience store. Well, he drove by a blue RAV4 park. And it was that road, Cuss Road. Cuss Road, (laughs) and it was kind of pulled off the road, and this was a couple days after she was missing. He had no idea any of this was going on, but he noticed it because it was pulled off weirdly. He went, stopped at a convenience store a short time after. Which was like a mile or two down the road, a couple miles, right. I think, away. There was yeah. that missing poster that we've all seen so much with her and with a photo of um, the car. Yes. And who's in the convenience store but Deputy Andy Coburn. Yes. And he tells Andy Coburn, hey, that car on this poster is parked right down the street. And this was like November 3rd or 4th. Yes, it this was. was before the car was found in the salvage yes. yard. He told... It was when she was still missing. Right. Coincidence of coincidences. And this is one of those things that if you put it in a mystery novel, people would say, you know... As if he'd be in the store right when that happened. Right, right. But he told Andy Coburn and then figured it had been worked on. And then I think he saw on TV later, or maybe it was even the first season of Making a Murder. Yeah, because I... And he realized later, seeing whatever he saw, that Andy Coburn was the guy he talked to... And that the RAV4 was not 
in the salvage yard, he saw in coincidentally right near Scott Taddock's yes, house. Yes, it was. Who and he wasn't married to Barb at the time and was living down that road. And so that's a huge fresh piece of evidence. And Andy Coburn, that ties back into when he said the license plate. Yes. Because that's about the time he called in that. Right. He called in her plate and the dispatcher said, are you seeing the car? And he said no. And he didn't remember when he made that call or anything, but it was November 4th. He had a very poor memory. And as I said last episode, if he had a good explanation for why he made that call... It'd be one thing, but he really kind of just... Well, the thing is, if he were smart, he would have said, yeah, there was a car similar to hers, and... Um, I'm just double che- I was know, just double-checking it, and that wasn't, that wasn't the car. If he had been a regular cop that wasn't a fucking dick, he would have said to the truck driver, let me get your information just in case. Right. Because so we then could... we might have to have you testify or right. something. You know? Right. But no. But, but normally what would have happened is they would have gone and checked out the car... It would have either been, hey, yeah, it's her car, or no, you know, it's not her car. But there was no record no, of that happening. No. And again, it happened right around the same and like, time. And like, you'd think he would have called, and like I said, again, he would have called in and said, look, somebody spotted a car, I'm going to go check it out. Right. Or something. I mean, I don't know how they work, but I would think that that would be what a normal uh, right. well, and investigator I can say, would do. I can say... I'm not a cop, but I play one on TV. No, but I have been something people. But I may judge not, them all the time. But I judge so, them all. Yeah. And, and this is something you guys may or may not know. But in newsrooms, newspaper newsrooms, there's a police scanner going all the time. And in fact, sometimes people are like, Ugh, and they turn it down, <laughs> and that's a big no-no because that's how even with Twitter and everything, you find out a lot yeah. of what's going on. So you're listening to it all day, and I could can tell you. Even if they went on to a, a different channel, which they, like, sometimes, you know, there's a Code 1000 or whatever. They go on to a channel where they don't want it to be a public yeah. frequency. There would still be a record of him calling it in, but that's what they do. If they're going to go check out a car or something, they call it in. You know, they would say something like, the subject just said he saw a car, especially in a case like this, yeah. where they're looking for her and looking for her car. There would be some record of the fact that they checked out that car and it wasn't hers. Yes. Or it would have been hers and, hey, look, we found her car. But I think what happened is it's, he went to look and it's like, okay, it's her car. Now how do we get this to the salvage yard and implicate Stephen Avery? Yeah. You can say it's all a load of bullshit, but that guy who saw it isn't making it up that I could tell that like, Teresa why would he? Why would he? If it weren't relevant, there would be some... Evidence that happened, and if they are covering stuff up that's not relevant, again, that goes to... It's either, are you either, are you trying to frame someone? Are you just lazy? I mean, what right. are you doing? And, and, you know? so, and so, freshness-wise, what Kathleen Zellner did, and what this documentary did She's by... She's a breath of fresh air. Right. By, and what this documentary did by telling it the way they told it, is she puts together a completely different case based solely on evidence, yeah. not based on people's emotions, not based on, you know, every time you say something, well, what about our family? We're not going to bother her. What about our or family? Or, oh, those Avers are pieces of shit right. and breed, you know, it's never based, amount to anything. They right. must have done it, you know? And anyone who cares who's convicted for a crime or who cares about the person who's killed and the people they leave behind should care 
that a case against someone is built with the evidence, not only because it's wrong to convict somebody who didn't do something, but just like the when he was framed for the attempted rape in 1985, there's somebody out there yeah. who's the monster that the prosecution yeah. are saying Stephen Hayford is. I know, there is there's, there's and, somebody out there. And that's one of the things that pisses me off the most. I, mean, I could say this for beating the drum, but I'll, I'll say it now. They don't care at all, even though that's their main thing is how much they care. Because if they did care, the $36 million lawsuit wouldn't matter. Yeah. They would go after the absolute, really disgusting person who did what oh, they yes. did to, to Teresa Halbach. And so the next thing is repetition, which we don't really take any points off. And I think some of it is because the documentary really doesn't really repeat. Uh, like we said, they reuse videos sometimes. But I, I feel like there was never a time when I'm like, oh, why are they showing this yes. again? Like I said, they'd show some photographs over. It right. wasn't blatant. I'm not taking anything right. off for that. And and the repetition in the case is what we're going to talk about. Yes, with, with, with the beating, beating the drum. The drum. So, as far as beating the drum for the documentarians, no. Some people think it's biased. I don't think they're beating a drum for any side. Right. The fact that, that there's no narration, but they're letting everyone speak for themselves, in a lot of ways takes away that whole beating the drum yeah. thing. And there's other ways to kind of beat the drum, like long, slow shots of a grave or something yeah. like that, that I think actually makes you feel the opposite of, at least me, how you're supposed to feel when that's Well, done. when you feel like you're being manipulated. Right. Yeah, and they don't, they don't do that for either thing. They don't do no. that for him or Brendan either. They don't use sentimental shots or no, things no, at all. No, not at all. I don't think so. So no. Um, but the most sentimental things I saw actually were the things about Teresa Halbach. They showed you know photographs of her, and they showed clips of that video that she made. Right, and that's how season one friend. ended, showing yes. that video. And I think people who think the documentary, I don't think that's beating the drum. But no, but if you no. were gonna say that they were trying to put forth a you know point of view that that was kind of trying to make you feel that would be the most the right. closest I would get. But then as far as the oh, is the case. There are many. Yes. Both sides, and I don't know if this is really beating the drum, but how many times and ways can you say that poor Brendan Dassey is not a smart person? He's a slow learner. He's a he has a low IQ. He's a slow learner. Everybody on both sides. Poor kid. You know, it's like I mean, he aside from that, but um, they did. They said it constantly. I know everybody. 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 To the point where you're laughing. If it was a drinking game, oh yeah, I know. Should have thought about it. So the prosecution, many members of the prosecution, constantly bringing up the family. When a question is asked, they bring up the family, Teresa Hallback's family. It's like a diversionary right. tech. Well, think of the Hallbacks, what they're going through. Yes, we know. And that's why you have to figure out who did it. And it's just brought up so many times, especially in the second season, as this goes oh, through the appeal. Towards the end, of the, it's like... Right, as, the, as the, both cases... The attorney general... But as both cases go through, everybody's doing it to the point where, and I wish some reporter had said... Yeah, aside from that, and then yes. ask the question again. Instead of being, oh, oh, you're right. But the problem is, is I'm sure many out there listening to us are thinking right now, when you discount that, or when you say yes, but that isn't relevant to what we're talking about, it's this, you know, knee-jerk reaction that 
you don't care about the victim and it's all about the victim. And that's so short-sighted and that's how our justice system gets fucked up. Yeah. The other thing, Ken Kratz did it all the time and we've talked about this before. He kept bringing up these cops. There's no way these cops could have done this. They're good men. They're good men. They're such wonderful people. It's like, buddy, they did it before. They did, they did it, it 20 years ago and they've probably done it to other people. Right. And I any... think that's how they solve their cases. You right. Know? And again, Just it's pick a... somebody and, you right. know. Right. And it's a manipulative thing. We all know we're all big girls and boys and we know that there are police out there who manufacture evidence, who go after a... And it's not, it's not like a common occurrence, you know. No. It's not like it happens, although in Manitowoc County, I'm start, I wonder. It seems, you wonder but, how many people... But I mean, I'm not saying that... Because one thing we talked about when the documentary, Tarians interviewed people like in a pool hall yes. stuff, who were obviously more of the class of Avery's. Every single one of them was absolutely sure that the cops could have manufactured evidence. Yes, and that was at the beginning of um, season one. Season one, yeah. yeah. And again, Ken Kratz is playing on nobody wants to be the person who is not going along with what everybody else is thinking. Nobody wants to seem like they're the person who doesn't have a heart. Nobody wants to seem like they're the cold person who's not thinking of the victim, except for maybe me. He's basically telling the jury, and I feel like it's almost a coded message to the jury, and I think it's what ended up happening, that if you acquit Stephen Havery, you're living in the same county with these cops. You know, and it is laughable because the guys involved in this are the guys involved in his lawsuit. And if I were on that jury, even if I was unsure, didn't think cops would do stuff like that, I would still say, well, should these guys in this lawsuit be the guys, the very guy in the lawsuit is one of the guys who found the evidence. Mm-hmm. You know, that should be a problem, but he throws up one of his smoke screens yeah. and he beats the drum on it because it's over and over and over again until I'm sure nobody wants to say, well, actually, I think the cops, some of them may not be good guys. Well, the other thing he beat the drum on that we talked about all through this is the way she was supposedly killed, even though there wasn't evidence of, of that, you know, how, you know, she Brutal was tortured monster, and raped. Yeah. Disgusting. Yeah. Bringing up how, yes. Way overuse of adjectives yes. and adverbs. You know, that's why a lot of defense attorneys try to keep this kind of thing out of courtroom, you know, when someone has gruesome photographs or whatever, because that kind of takes you away from the facts right. of whether or not this person did it or not. Obviously, it's a horrible thing when someone's killed, but that doesn't mean the person that's accused of it is guilty because it's a horrible thing. Right. You know, it's, it's not, you know, it's getting you all worked up about the so worked up about the crime and what happened that you want to get somebody for it and that makes you more likely right. to and convict second, somebody. I'm sure the, it's psychology. Right, you and know? the second part of that is they hammered that home by describing Stephen Avery and his family in terms that range from unflattering yeah. to downright libelous. Yeah. And they did it over and over and over again having that press conference after Brendan's so-called confession, the detail of the horrificness of what they, there was no evidence of. And so the, the beating the drum, they wanted to be sure people were so horrified by this narrative of what they say that there was no evidence of that happened that they lost all perspective. And so they did it over and over. And anyone who's familiar, I don't want to say with real life, but with news conferences about people 
who are arrested, even for awful murders, they're usually pretty bland. Yeah. And they're usually the prosecutors and the cops, people giving the press conferences, lots of times keep their adjectives and adverbs to themselves for the most part and don't go into a lot of detail, partly because I don't want to poison the jury and stuff, but I think part of this was calculated on their part. The prosecutors, I think, knew how flimsy the case really was. They maybe wanted him to have done it. Maybe they even thought he did it. But they wanted to be sure there was no question in anyone's mind that he did it. And by using the most manipulative thing you can do, and that's appealing to people's emotions with the undercurrent that if you don't feel the way we're telling you you should feel, there's something wrong with you. And look at the way you're treating the poor family of this horribly murdered and assaulted woman. They continually brought up, which they shouldn't have been allowed to bring up his... Making it sound like he was really convicted of... Of attempted rape. I don't even think they called it attempted rape. I think... They called him a rapist a couple times. And they talked about his record all the time, and he did have a record from before he was... And and we did talk about this in Missing Pieces, and that was the thing that... One of the things that bothered me about the documentary. No one clarified. They did... They They did showed what he had been convicted, and they showed visuals of what it said, like the burglary thing was, a couple sandwiches. But when they talk about his family being criminals and all this stuff, we don't know. I don't know. As a viewer, I, I don't know. Right, and I think at one point, or a few points, he's called, and I don't think it's Kratz, I think it's either a judge or somebody else on the prosecution, like something like the most horrible vile criminal yes. who's ever blah 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 and it's like I think it was mm, a judge more so than the serial brutal serial or Jeffrey rapist Dahmer or... who yeah you oh know, yeah oh yeah that or that they've ever the processed. actual rapist right. oh yeah and, and stuff like that like Alan what's his name Greg Allen right you know that, that there's like no perspective on what his real history I know. is and I'm not saying he was an angel he but they made wasn't. him they did they made him sound like a serial attacker of women when if he did murder Teresa Hallock, that would have been the first, first time that right. the law that the law enforcement knew about. Right. He was in prison for eighteen years. I know. The I think the beating the drum is what got him convicted and what probably keeps him in prison and what got Brendan Nancy convicted. And I think on the other side beating the drum, Kathleen Zellner I think beat her own drum, I guess you'd say, but she beat the drum of, I'm going to figure out what happened. She said it over and over again through the whole second season that she wants to figure out what happened. And if he's guilty, he's guilty. If he's not, then that's good. And she doesn't think he is. So she's kind of beaten a drum there herself. I don't hold it against her. But she does, she makes it clear. I think she felt she needed to make it clear. And, you know, I think anyone who's listened to last episode of this one knows kind of quote what side we're on yeah. even though I said it's not like a football game that like I said even if he did do it I'm like Catherine Zoller well, I want to know but I want to know real evidence and I right. don't want all this and two I feel like she feels like she has to say that because of all the criticism and I feel like she can say whatever she wants the stuff she's come up with is actual evidence as opposed to what law enforcement and the prosecution came up with. And it's stuff they could have come up I know. with if, if they had done if what done everybody, job. everybody who reads books and watches true crime shows and everything else knows that you follow the evidence, you don't go after a person. That's right. And because when you go after a person, lots of times, not lots of times, but that's usually what results 
if there's a, let me turn that around, if there's a wrongful conviction, in a lot of cases it's because they went after a person and tried to make a square peg fit around hole, mm-hmm. then say, where does the evidence lead us? Just think of what would happen if Andy Coburn, assuming that was her car by Scott Taddock's house, had actually, when he called in the car, said, yeah, her rav is sitting right here off Cuss Road. Let's do this. They would have probably found the Outlook calendar in there. And who knows whether Stephen Avery would have been convicted or not. That's right. But it wasn't on his property. And Brendan Dassey probably wouldn't have been drawn into it. Because the whole reason Brendan Dassey was drawn in is because they needed something against Stephen Avery. One thing that I wanted to mention, and I don't know where it fit, but there was one thing I really liked um, that... Um, well, I can't think of his name, Strang. What's his first Dean name? Strang. Oh, Dean Strang said to that reporter when they were at one of their press conferences oh, yeah. where the guy was asking him to speculate. The print ab- reporter, you could tell. About Brendan. You could tell he was a print And he reporter. said, we shouldn't be doing that, and frankly, neither should you. Or something And the like print that. reporter actually nodded in appreciation. Yeah, you got me when he said that. He said, this isn't a time to judge. We're not judging that. And, and that was after Avery was convicted. Yes, after Stephen Avery was convicted. Right. They asked him about Brendan Dassey. And I thought it was refreshing to hear somebody say, yeah, I could say, yeah, I think he's fucking innocent. And I think Stephen Avery's innocent, blah, blah, blah. And what a difference from the type of stuff the prosecution said. Ken Kratz, sweaty, 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 sexting. sweaty sexting. Yeah, and you know why he had to keep bringing up Stephen Avery was sweaty? Because of all that bullshit about the sweat DNA. Yes, I know, I know, which is... Yeah. But yeah, I like that because it was, they had been very controlled and muted, the defense attorneys had, and that was like, and it, he wasn't yelling, he wasn't screaming, but it was a very powerful That's like, statement. Yes, cause when and then he goes there, how's that for judging? Yeah, or, but anyway, so. And I, also, oh, one another thing I wanted to bring up about those guys too, one of the big things to get an appeal to go through is incompetent. Yes. At representation, which is a thing Kathleen Zellner is bringing up, and she does point out that a lot of it was Dean and Jerry weren't given a lot of the evidence, you know, with the Brady violations. violations. But they also didn't have the money to get the experts she can get and stuff. And she's a little apologetic, but says basically this is what you have to do. And frankly, Dean and Jerry do kind of defend themselves, but they also say, and it's funny because I read a thing where that said that they're defensive about it or something, and they're not. In fact, they understand. Any attorney knows that it's going to be brought up. Right, you know, because appeal. that's how your guy gets an appeal. Yeah. I think any defense attorney I think has had that happen to right. them. Right, and I think... Attorneys are more... If Matt were here, we could ask him. I know. We're going to try to get Matt back. We're going to see. We, but I think most attorneys would take it in stride, more or less, because they didn't, want, they didn't want their guy convicted. Something went wrong in the trial, and they want an appeal to work, They or they should. And that's lots of times why, and I'm speaking for Matt here, so I may be wrong, but then lots of times your appellate lawyer isn't the same attorney you had no, in your first trial. And you know what's funny, though, is, and it's probably because Len Kaczynski was taken off. If he hadn't been taken off his case and Brendan had been convicted, there probably would have been a good argument That's against a, a, for ineffective counsel or whatever. But since they changed it to that other guy... Wow. That's a good point. What an irony that is. I didn't even think of that. That he might, he would have been almost more successful in an appeal. Because there was a reason. Because I think they brought that up 
that no, there there wasn't an effective counsel once he was taken off. Right. Like, and well, and the thing is, the thing he was taken off for, basically they said he let him talk to the cops yeah. without an attorney. He was fucking fed to the cops and then that whole video of his private investigator oh, that forcing was horrible. the poor kid to implicate himself, it was fucking sick. It was really hard and, to watch. And both. then when you see like when you're watching it, like the first time I watched that, I'm like, why is this guy doing that? And then at the end, the last episode when they showed him like his letter oh. about the Averys and how they shouldn't be able to reproduce yeah. and blah, blah, blah. So he was never, not that he looked like he was on this kid's side, but he had it in for the kid from the start because he thought of him as less and than I a human forgot, being. And I kind of forgot a lot of his part. I remembered the interrogation. And when that came up, when I was rewatching the first season, I'm like, oh. And then when I saw that, I was like, oh, no, this, I, now I'm remembering this part. It was so hard to watch. I don't know how anyone can watch the video of Brendan Dassey being jerked around and forced to draw pictures oh, of what he God. thought. Anybody who sees the kid knows he's not able to say, I'm not going to do that. He wants to please them, and he feels like if he can go If you think home. of any kid that's like six or seven years old or eight years old, they're going to be doing that too. If you asked some kid, I want you to draw me a picture of when you went and had the ice cream, and they'll be like, I didn't. I didn't go, well, yeah, but just show me just what show you me. would have done if you, and, and, if you went and had an ice cream. Right, and it even shows the private investigator telling, well, why don't you do this? Yeah, why don't you put I, this here? And anyone who it's looks like... like on film. I know. I, know. I don't. I it just, blows my mind. It does my But it just goes to show that your perception... And so I think overall we took away a point and a half for the yes, document, so it's got an 8.5. Yeah, it's a very high. I'm glad I watched the second season. I was kind of resisting it, and I'm yeah. glad I rewatched the first season after yes. that. Because after I watched the first season, and I was really affected by it, there's like two years of people criticizing it, and I hadn't remembered everything, yes. and I'm like, was it really that bad a documentary? And I just was exhausted by yeah. the topic. Yeah, I was glad I rewatched. Then you had me watch the second season, and then after watching the second season, I'm like, oh man, I gotta watch the first season yeah. again. I thought it was really good. I think that there was some criticism of the second season, that it was... Parts of it were slow. I didn't find I didn't, that. I think people want, like, action and... Re- See, I, I'm the type of person, too. I like the, I background, the background of the family. Right. And stuff. I, I like the background. <laughs> Dolores. I know. <laughs> with, with I, feel, Dolores. I feel so bad for his parents. I think one of the things yeah. that... And this goes to the storytelling and the visuals and stuff. One of the things that elevates this documentary is the poignancy of his parents. Mm-hmm. And the way they handle that. Just showing them and showing their reactions and showing their lives and her sitting at that kitchen table. It's funny because when I saw season one again, she was at the table with her little dogs. I know. And poor Barb Tadek. I feel bad for her. I, she's in a lose-lose situation. She, it was funny, too, because she had a phone call. I thought it was kind of funny. They have that call of her after Kathleen Zellner's implicating, you know, talking about Bobby and his porn and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. They have that audio tape of her calling Stephen. What the fuck, Stephen? And, and, but then at the end, they're like, love you, love you. you know? In fact, <laughs> anyone who thinks that the documentarians are biased towards the Avery family or whatever, there's a lot of stuff about Barb. Brendan's mother, that they didn't have to show if they wanted to make this all look. But my feeling is she's in a lose-lose situation because, you know, Brendan didn't do it. But it's very likely Bobby, her other son, and her now husband, Scott, 
might have done it or had something. And to you do know, it. the thing is, she's mad at Stephen. But like I said in our last episode, her husband testified against. I him know about that big, how big the fire was and all that. I know. Shit. And the other thing is, what, and Bobby t- kind of one of the threw things also the too. But just listening to Stephen when she yells at him about stuff, he doesn't try to defend himself. No. He just says, "Look, there's my case and there's his case." And I'm paraphrasing, but. I'm sorry that's happening that way, but his reactions to it seem not like he's deflecting yeah. or trying to sound like he's innocent, but he's just like, somebody did it. Yeah. Somebody did it, Barb, and I didn't do it, and Brendan didn't do it, so... I would wonder, you know... She's in a no-win situation. Yeah. I, and she I may I have, that. deep down, may wonder about her husband. If Scott's involved, you know, and they weren't living together when she was killed, but they were obviously dating because she was going with him to see his mother in the hospital. If it was calculated on his part yeah. to marry her and move in with her... So weird. That it... First of all... If she knows something she doesn't even know she knows, you know how you can't testify against a spouse. Also, well, you can. You, you just can. can't be compelled You can't to. be compelled to. But the other thing is... I would. It gives him way more control over the situation. I have a feeling that she only knows what we know or right. what Stephen knows. I mean, she doesn't know. And the other thing, it's funny how his demeanor changed from the first season to the second to the point in the second season. I'm like... Oh, that's that guy. It took and me a while in the to first one, he was like, when Stephen was convicted, he was like, "Good, you know." Yes, I know. Blah, blah, blah. I know. And the way he testified against him, and then in the second season, he's all her husband. I and know, and he he and seemed. It took minutes. me a minute to remember that he was the guy that testified about right. the fire and was saying, because I was like, he seems almost like he's. You know, supporting her and kind of on Stephen's side. And then I'm like, isn't that that guy? Yeah, it took me a while. And I think one thing, too, is he's probably comfortable. Those two guys are probably not getting out of prison and there's no any evidence against him. Not anymore. And the other thing is that it makes him look less guilty to be supportive of Stephen in Brendan. Yeah, because he knows that there's probably very little chance. Of course, that was before Kathleen came on the scene. Yes. Sure, he doesn't like her too much. Right. But the other thing that I don't think we talked about, because it didn't really fit in with any of these things we were talking about. One thing about Kathleen that she brought up that string in, um, what's his name? Jerry. Jerry and Dean. Dean and Jerry. One thing that they didn't bring up was that we're in a kind of a rural area, and a lot of people have bullet casings all over the place. Right. People do target shooting, shell casings. They um, shoot at groundhogs and squirrels. And the fact that there were shell casings in his garage isn't Doesn't mean evidence. anything. And, um, and also th- all the forensic study she did of that shell casing yes, that showed... stuff that was on. Like it could have gone through the wall yeah. and all that. Like the wool and stuff on it that you wouldn't... Yeah. Find in other places. And they apparently did no forensic testing of it at all. I mean, I understand. They're not hurt. I mean, just like the defense didn't have the resources. Even a, a county doesn't have the resources right. that but, she has. But the county is trying to prove somebody guilty of something. Yes. And you would think, like, first of all, even before Brendan's so-called confession, you would think they would have gone over Stephen's trailer with luminol and stuff. I know. I know. That doesn't make any sense Like they it, didn't do Like that. the fact... Well, well, they wouldn't do it because it's they better find to anything. Yeah. right. It's better to not open that door. Yes, that's true. If you do it and don't find anything, then that wrecks your case. Well, they found the key, right? And then Kratz 
Oh, then he tried to say it was stuck behind that gross right. bedside table. Well, right, but then he said it doesn't mean anything anyway. Like, this was their big piece of evidence, but then in his closing arguments, he's like, it doesn't mean anything. Okay, so this is my whole thing about this, too, and I mentioned it in the last one. If I had a family-owned auto salvage yard and I killed somebody, there would be no reason for me to have her car key in my house. The car key would have been stuck in the car. Right. The car would have been smashed. I think, well, first of all, I think anyone who was going to hide the car or whatever would leave the key. In why, the car. Why yeah. bring the key? Why also, why do you key? have her valet key? And I think they explained, like, where she might have kept it or whatever. But where are her regular keys? Yeah, I know. Like, you would use her keys. To move the car. You want to use the valet key. Yeah, and why would you even have it? And stuff? then why would you take it, unless you unthinkingly put it in your pocket, but even then, you wouldn't hide it in your house. You'd throw, throw it in the, the garbage or something. Or in your giant fire that you were burning. Right. Like, why wouldn't you throw well, everything, in including your mattress, on the fire? Right. Well, because when you tortured her on the bed, you right. know. Right, because at first I said she Why was stabbed on the bed. Why was it soaked with blood? Right. I know. You would crush the car. And one thing, and we probably talked about this in the last week. I don't know, I've said it a lot. The way the car was supposedly hidden looked so staged. I know. You know, like know. if you were trying to hide the car, first of all, put it in the friggin' middle. That's what we were saying last time. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's huge. But then huge. don't put a couple sticks. It's so not you're like, not really like ten cars there. Right. It's like thousands of fucking right. cars. They wanted to look like the car had been hidden, but not so much that an unwitting searcher wouldn't see it. And it's funny how she just happened to go right to it. Right. Even though I didn't think she well god led her to it right god did although i kind god of didn't help teresa, teresa yeah no, why yeah i would think god wouldn't be so subtle yeah like god would have maybe not had teresa killed in the <laughs> first place or done something bigger to show who did it like maybe god led that truck driver to the car in the first place and then god is like fucking andy colburn <laughs> Boy, is he's he going, going to, to hell. hell. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and and then God was hoping that, you know, somebody would <laughs> not have their head up their ass. And but it's so, when they when they showed the way the car was hidden, it's like, give well, me a fucking My feeling break. is it was supposed to look like somebody wanted to hide it. And like, but again, you can't have it so hidden that somebody who doesn't know it's there can't Well, wouldn't it. you take the license plates off? I would. If I worked in an auto salvage yard where they do that with every car they put, it would almost be an automatic thing. But I would have crushed it in the crusher. Yeah. And nobody would have ever found it. And I would have crushed her body in the crusher, too, for that oh, matter. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. because once that happens, it's all this compressed. And then I think it gets melted down somewhere. Nobody would ever know. But maybe the Averys weren't smart enough. Yeah, well, they were. And there's actually, believe it or not, a family branch, not a family tree, according to that. Yeah. According to that. Yeah, because they're just having sex with each other. Apparently, just procreating among each other, like. According to that. Some. That investigator guy. Yeah. But there's so much we didn't talk about. I know. If you haven't watched it, I recommend watching yes. it. I'm sure I'm sure if you like true crime you've probably watched it. Yeah. Unless you unless you have Netflix or even though we've spoiled it for you. And I look forward to seeing what happens. But I hate to say it, that I feel like no matter what Kathleen Zellner uncovers, she could uncover a fucking videotape of somebody else killing her. 
And I feel like still those guys well, aren't going to Well, the get problem out that was frustrating as a viewer was that it didn't seem like the judges that were in the positions to do stuff about it, like they just, no, no, there's no reason, no. Yeah. And part of it is the appeals process. Like Kathleen Zellner was saying, the person has already been convicted. Which is why Brendan's appeal was going through the federal system. Yes. But she said, I prefer to go through the state system. And then she had these three different tracks, yeah. which the graphics are great at showing, but each track was getting shut down. Yeah. But I'd like to think that our justice system, if you find compelling evidence, even if somebody has used up all their appeals or whatever, if you find compelling evidence, another thing to ask Matt about, there has to be some recourse. There, Like for Brendan Dassey, there has to be some recourse. How can everybody just keep somebody in prison who obviously didn't do something because there's no way to get them out? And I know that one of the big issues with our justice system is they don't like to admit they made a mistake because that calls into question their credibility about a lot of other things and how they do things. But what The great it, thing would be to do it right from the beginning. I was going to say, but what does it do to their credibility when there's somebody in prison that there really isn't any evidence. Well, they don't care. I know. They will maintain the lie that he's guilty or convince themselves he's guilty. Like, look at the people who said Stephen Avery still did that attempted rape, I know. even though he didn't. Even though he obviously so, didn't. And because from the beginning, they wouldn't have behaved the way they did if they thought Brendan Dassey and Stephen Avery's lives were worth what their lives or were worth what Teresa Hobach's well, life or her family's life or anything was because they think of them as lesser people. And that was obvious, even that private investigator and everything. Oh God. Then the fact that they're in prison for something they didn't do doesn't really bother those guys because, hey... Well, they probably did something. They probably did something, or what were they contributing to society in any way? The kid just played video games all the time. He was never going to amount to anything. Stephen Avery's a piece of garbage. So if they're in prison and didn't do this, you know... And again, somebody <laughs> did do this. You know, somebody yes, did this. I know. Well, okay, so compare Brendan Dassey to Michael Skakel who may or may not have killed Martha Moxley. Right. He was allowed to be out of prison mm -hmm. during his appeals. Yeah. And Brendan, no. I mean, Brendan, the three-judge panel wanted him out, and they would not let they him. They would not let him out. And One that, person has money and is related to the Kennedys, even though there was much more evidence against him. One person has no money and isn't very smart, and Aww, nobody gives a shit. poor kid. It's He's awful. not a kid anymore. It's, but it's sickening. My heart goes out to him. He, I mean, like I said, but I've said it before. I mean, Stephen Avery, to me, it feels like he can take care of himself. I know they said it in the first season. They mentioned he had a low IQ. I don't think it's... I, he, I, I don't think, think he's, he's just uneducated. Well, like I said before, IQ tests... Yeah. Except they for the were... one that shows I'm a genius. Oh, I think yeah. that one was right. <laughs> the, but... one, the one you took online on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but I got a hundred. <laughs> I got a hundred percent. Um, the, uh, but the, uh, you know, he can right. fight for himself. Brendan, I just feel like, well, like it's just so like when Brendan was talking about what he'd leave for his like I thing know, about the ice cream, how I he was know, only buying a I pint know. because he thought he was going to get out. I feel so bad for him. And you know, I wonder, I would love to like, I think I said this last time too, is talk to like the staff at the prison that deals with him all the time and, and see, see what they, they think. think of him. Yeah. Or if they think that he did it. Right. After knowing him for that many years. At knowing who but in any case, we'll have updates if anything happens with this. Although you'll all probably already know about it since it's out there and in the news. Yes. And you feel free to 
email us or and, tweet right. at us. If you think we're full of shit. Right. Fine. And we're coming. We're used to it. And again, this was our second anniversary Yay. show. Yay. And we want to thank everybody for listening for two years. Yes. Who, who knew when we first did this with the Yoga Twins that two years later. Yeah. So much water under the bridge. Yeah. And we appreciate our supporters on Patreon. Yes. Thank you very much. And we plan to bring you many more. And right? we plan to someday... Get our sister. Groovy too. Groovy too. Well, we're going to talk about that. That's coming soon. We're going to start doing that again soon. Soon. Because we know, particularly our number one supporter, John Whitson in Ohio, is probably more of a Groovy Tube fan than a crime and stuff fan. We don't know. And as our top supporter, he does get to be a guest on the show. And we're in communication with John. He lives in Ohio. We live in Maine. And as you know, technical stuff is in our forte. But we want to get him on to do an Ohio, hopefully an Ohio, crime. Not to do a crime. (laughs) To (laughs) To cover one. And we've also been talking about other guests maybe we can Right, and we've been talking about them for a year. Because our guest ones seem to be popular. They do. You know, we'll have our sister Liz back probably (laughs) next summer. So next guy I'm doing the one I promised a couple of times. Yeah, and then I got to think of... A go. I'm thinking of something. Right, and the one I'm doing next three main crimes that I think you'll find interesting. One's not really a crime, but I think you'll still find that inspired my (laughs) book. (laughs) Her third book in her series. Thank you. Well, you know, I feel... Bad News Travels Fast. Available on Amazon or fine bookstores. you can find books. Fine bookstores that may or may not sell books from small publishers. (laughs) You can always ask for it. You can always ask for it, but you know what? It's just easier to get it on Amazon. And if you do, please your bookstore, review it on Yeah, Amazon. review it on. And reviews are a big part of how people's books are found out about. They're also a big part of podcasts, too. Yes, they are. And you can review our podcasts. And t- tell them if you think my book is good or not. What? Who, me? Yeah, like... Oh, I thought you were talking... I, I thought you were telling our listeners like, to, to, to tell people how they have... Well, like, you're my sister, okay? You don't have to... No, it is good. very good. I think it's... I always think the newest one's your best one, so I don't know. I like this one the best. You do? And, um, I like it, too. And you you can read it without reading the other two in the Yes, series. you can, but And, I and the only reason I made you say that, and I know you're my sister, although... You know, you wouldn't. I don't think you'd say it was shitty. You would lie. I wouldn't say it was shitty. But the reason I'm saying that, and and this goes for any writer you know or like, there's a lot of books out there, and it could be a really good book, and people aren't going to know about it. The more reviews on Amazon and Goodreads, because newspapers are less and less doing book reviews, especially here in Maine. They used to do them. It's very hard to get your book reviewed if you're not with the And they're cutting back on it. So I appreciate, you don't have to like it. You don't have to read it. You don't have to buy it. But if you do, and honest... If you do buy it, though, you'll read it and like it. I hope so. All I ask is an honest review. You and I'm, I know I'm babbling on about okay, it. Okay, thank you. Okay, so you can find us on... Crime and Stuff Online is our website. Yeah. You can tweet at us, Crime and Stuff. Right, yeah. Like if you just look at I Crime and Stuff yeah, with an ampersand, We can never remember. Up. And our Facebook page... You can... Yeah, if you search for crime stuff. Find us there. And you can tweet our regular Twitter accounts. I'm mmillican47. If you just... Yeah, and I'm Rebecca Milliken. But if you look up the name, Maureen yeah. Milliken and Rebecca Milliken, it, like it's... Re, yeah, it's Rebecca... I don't yeah. know. But you'll figure out who But if I, Yeah, it's but I think if you search there. for our names, we'll come up. Yeah. Right. And so... 
Anyway. Until next time. I'll see ya. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye-bye. The big white elephant, or the big elephant in the room, be- besides me. <laughs> I always uh, make that joke, but nobody ever laughs. Well, you know. Like it's, it kind, of, it's kind of pathetic, but... <laughs>